What is up, OCD family community? Today we are talking with Miss Obsessively Strong herself, social media influencer Madison Marie. We've been interweb friends for a hot minute now, and we both happen to be homegrown gingers. So come on in, because we are bringing in the fire and calling out some of the drama when it comes to OCD. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The OCD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. All right, y'all. So welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast. And for any new guests that we have here, I am just so glad that you're here. Welcome. Everybody is welcome here, whether you are suffering from OCD, supporting and loving on loved ones or chosen family with OCD, a researcher or clinician learning or practicing in this field, or hey, just someone who wanted to learn more be better informed, and is fascinated by the strength and courage of our OCD warriors. And for our return fam, hey, 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 (laughs) I see you. Welcome back, boo. So today we are in luck, y'all. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I am approaching the wrap, the wrap, y'all, on our season one full-length episodes. So today's episode, season one, episode 42, wow. 42. This is our penultimate episode before wrapping up our in-depth family chatter and switching on over to the summer series. And to that end, y'all, I am so excited for the summer series, I have to be honest. I completely nerded out, full disclosure, and probably went a little extra, a little next level because I can't help myself, it seems. But I'm running a summer series with different shorts called the Water Cooler Chats, so we can still come have some check-ins, drop some resources, get some support, do our thing. It's just going to be like a little Dixie cup of refreshment when it comes to supporting and cheering on the OCD warriors in our lives. So be on the lookout for that because Water Cooler Chats will premiere two weeks from today, that's May 26th, and they will roll all summer long until we resume with season two's premiere and returning to our deeper dives into content, education, understanding treatment, support, and resources. But for today, we're with Madison Marie, also known as at Obsessively Strong, and I am just going to get us right into it today, folks, because we had a really great conversation, and I want to share as much of it with you as I can. But first, let me take a quick second here just to tell you a little more about Madison. Madison is 25 years old, and she's an aspiring OCD counselor. What? What? I like the way you work it. No OCD. Who has lived with OCD her whole life. Madison was misdiagnosed for about 15 years or so. I mean, can we relate, y'all? Anybody out there? Hands, hands. And she understands the devastating symptoms that can come along with OCD, both physically and mentally. 
Madison is someone who would describe herself as caring but direct, like any good ginger would be. Just kidding. If you struggle with directness and you're a ginger, we'll still let you in the club. And loves to discuss the nuances and uncomfortable topics related to OCD. So she is perfect for today's chat. She is engaged in both ERP, that's exposure and response prevention, and ICBT, that's inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy. And she has gained benefits from both when they are utilized the right way. Her hope is that she can help shed light on this misunderstood disorder, help those with OCD recover, learning that it's not a death sentence, but you can recover from OCD the same way that her therapist was able to do for her. So girlfriend's here to pay it forward, y'all. And you know what? I love that. And she's not only here doing that, but she's also doing it by being a social media influencer, which we'll talk about it. She's like, that's funny. To hear myself described that way, I mean, I guess. But she is, y'all. She's a social media influencer providing and creating informational educational resources on her Instagram page through an Etsy shop that she has as well as TikTok. And so I can't wait for you to get to know her more. But y'all, one last thing. I know I just said it was like the last thing. Like we're going to get to it. But this, this is worth noting. As I said in the intro, we're going to be talking about some of the drama here, you know, some of the hot topics, some of the controversy that can show up when it comes to OCD. Mm-hmm. So in that, I just want to provide a trigger warning for our listening fam here that we will be chatting about suicidal and homicidal ideation, in part because sometimes when someone struggles with harm OCD, it gets mistaken for suicidal or homicidal ideation. But also, folks with OCD can have true suicidal or homicidal ideation. And this isn't therapy. This isn't diagnostic. This isn't an evaluation. So please, y'all, don't listen to this and go, oh, well, this is what's going on. For that person, if you have somebody that is struggling with these types of thoughts that could be either or and both, Follow up with your medical and mental health providers. Please seek your own evaluation. This isn't it. This chat, it's not it. And in the case of this is an emergency, y'all, then go to the hospital or dial 911 or engage with your country's emergency response system for immediate help. Don't be emailing me or DMing Madison over here because you're too important. Your loved ones are too important and we're not your therapists. So please, please, please take care of yourselves and proceed into this conversation knowing that some of these topics are going to come up. We're also going to be discussing different harm themes, which can also feel really triggering and raw for folks. Just really a myriad of topics, but particularly some of those taboo themes that OCD sufferers can report. But if you're able and willing, no shade if you need to tap out, I encourage you to give this chat a listen because part of what we're hitting on is when treatment can unintentionally reinforce harm if we're missing the core fear or if we're taking a functional doubt and saying it's an obsessional doubt. These are important conversations because this is how we get better and do better. We talk about hard stuff and we become better listeners, better learners, better cheerleaders for the OCD warriors we hold near and dear. Plus, we're sassy redheads, y'all. So we'll definitely be having some fun doing all of this too. And you're like, how do you pair that? Like the taboo with sassy and fun. I mean, you're intrigued, right? So come on, join us. And you'll hear exactly how we do. 
Hello. Welcome to the OCD Family Podcast. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. I keep on wanting to call you Maddie, and then I don't know if people call you Maddie, and I'm like, Madison. Madison. I like your name. I think it's cool because when I was a kid, it wasn't popular, like when I was born. Yeah. And now it's super popular. Everyone, my, my little grandma was like, you're naming her after a street? Madison Avenue is a great street, though. I know, right? And again, though, there was a mermaid named Madison, too. And I think that's parents heard it from like that movie Splash or something. Oh, Splash. I love Splash with Daryl Hannah. My name is Nicole. My mm-hmm. mom and my dad and my family growing up called me Nikki, mm-hmm. which my mom used to sign me up in elementary school as mm-hmm. Nikki. I thought that was very unprofessional, which tells you how fun I was in elementary school. So I remember having a talk with the librarians. It was like second grade. They're like, Nikki, did you bring back this book? And I was like, listen, the name is Nicole. <laughs> I don't want to go by Nikki. That is that is a nickname. It's cutesy. It's not professional. They were like, okay. Nikki's so, for outside of school and outside of work. Well, here's the truth. Nikki's are bitches usually. They are. Or they're slutty. Or they're the girl that shoe breaks at the end of a movie right before they get killed because they're running down an alley like an idiot. It's fair. And I'm like, you deserve to die, Nikki. That's what I'm saying. And then people call me Nikki. Yeah, but what's funny is, like, it's faded out. And now as a professional, I'm like, I've got boundaries. My fam's like, okay, okay, Nick. Oh yes. my god. Yeah, which is fine. But my niece and nephew who don't know better, they're like, Aunt Nikki, I'm never gonna shed that name. That's okay. I don't mind Nikki now, but it sounds like it sounds weird and yet it doesn't. From a Nikki to a Maddie. We'll yeah. stick with Nicole and Madison. It's cool. It's all good. Perfect. It's all good. Same with like kids who call me medicine because they can't say my name. Medicine. So it just depends on who it is, you know? I love it. Yeah, so medicine, as we talk about that, where's Strawberry Blonde? Did you know Strawberry Blonde, like true Strawberry Blondes, are uh-huh. really rare? Really? Yeah, I guess. I mean, redheads are rare, too, but I guess Strawberry yeah. Blonde is. And then as I was looking it up, I'm like, wow, I don't know if when you've got your hair did, if people are like, people pay for that color. You should then- never dye it. And it makes me want to dye it so much more. <laughs> My mother. Yes. Yes. My mother. Yes. I paid for my color, too, because I paid for it. Yes. There you go. Did you know, though, that redheads don't typically gray? Oh, that would be lovely. I have yet to find a gray hair. A lot of my friends and my fiance have found gray hair. I I mean, to be fair, it's dyed. But I don't dye it enough for, like, you wouldn't notice it at some point. So. Well, what happens apparently is the whole strand, you'll wake up and if it changes, it's like white. <laughs> well, I mean, people pay a lot for that too. So, people do pay a lot. And I like, I have found, I have like one like area in my hair. Mm-hmm. It's back, you can't even kind of tell, but it's like frozen came out years ago. And so I'm good because I just look like I'm like doing that on purpose as an older person. Like claiming my youth, but it's natural. So, okay. That was kind of a nice little thing. But I found some facts about redheads, and I don't know if you've ever looked up facts about redheads, but they're weird. They're weird facts. I usually get a lot, when I was a kid, I would get a lot of like 
spot of the devil comments. So that was fun for my OCD. That too. that would be great for a scrupulous name, wouldn't it? It would be yeah. like, or, you know, was your mom on her period when she had you? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, gosh. The carpets match the drapes. That one Do the carpet and- match the drapes. Okay. That was a fun one in the in like later elementary school. Like I'm gonna be like in elementary school or or middle school. Do you have carpets yet? Come on, that one, that one. <laughs> yes, you don't even have carpets. You don't even know what okay. you're talking about, kid. That's right. So I'm just gonna go through a few of these for fun, and then we'll dive into some of the hotter topics that are relevant to OCD. But I mean, this is obviously relevant to our lives, so we'll go for it. All right. I don't know about you. I have a shit ton of freckles. Do you? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because the more sun you get and all that, the more freckles you get. Okay. So I have a crap ton of freckles. And apparently number one on this list, which is ironic for my OCD theme, is that redheads have a higher risk for melanoma, which is skin cancer. Great. That is lovely for me. I. It's because we're so fair and we can't tan. I have a new reasoning category. No, it's it's Thank all good. So no, it's all good. I went. My my dad has melanoma, and he mm-hmm. is not a redhead, but I am a redhead with eight thousand and one moles on my knee alone. And I am. I so I like after he got his diagnosis, I started going to the dermatologist like religiously, and I was like, my, we have family history. I've got all these atypical moles. I'm going to get it. And they're like, yeah, you probably will. And I was like, damn, thanks. But then they were like, but yes, they were very reassuring. But then they were like, but, you know, we'll catch it right away because you're in here all the time. And I was like, well, there you go. It was very. Don't make my compulsive behavior. okay? Okay. it was it was a very helpful relationship. Now that I know I have OCD, I'm like, oh, it's. I was getting really OCD about that, but okay. (laughs) So melanoma, yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. Apparently, I didn't know this. I saw this on multiple sites, so it must be true, even though the sites aren't necessarily the most reputable sites. But this one's everyday health. Redheads have more sex. I didn't know. (laughs) I feel like they're sexualized more. I will say again, I was like 16 when Uh I, 16 or 17 when I died at first and it was full I mean, again, I had like the strawberry blonde, but then I dyed it full red when I was 16. And there, I was already getting honks and crap, you know. Uh-huh, cat up. calls, all the stuff. But it went, it skyrocketed after I had red hair. And I didn't make the connection until my very kind guy friend that I knew since I was a kid. I was like bitching to him about it. And he's like, it's because you dyed your hair. I'm like, excuse me, what? So I can see how that statistic could like transfer over into this like erotic eroticism or like or like fascination with yes so red i think anyway is the like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sexual energy color as well as redheads are rare Mm -hmm. and i guess so says this that since it's harder to get it's more enticing to be with a redhead apparently but apparently redheads just like to get it on and they're for it. And I mean, I'm not not for it, but I I wouldn't have known that I was more amorous than the average. In that category. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was an interesting fact. Also, 
Red can be attention grabbing and an indicator of youth and fertility. So we're walking billboards of like, come and get it, apparently. I don't know. All the facts aren't like going on top of each other. Yeah. They're layering. They're going on top. That's what she said, right? (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I wasn't even trying to go. I went there. I'm very good at going there. Okay, so red hair is apparently good for your bones. Apparently, redheads have an ability to make vitamin D more naturally. Like, we don't even need the sunlight. Maybe because we're so fair, sun that we did absorb stays with us forever, gives us cancer and vitamin D. So it's like, it's a, it's a two-fer. Boost your mood, but then get cancer. Yeah, I mean, you live a little, you lose a little. Okay. We're more sensitive to pain. I'm certainly sensitive to pain okay you're making she's making a face y'all what i will say is at the dentist Mm -hmm. have you needed novocaine and have they have they needed to give you more novocaine so fun fact never had a cavity in my life i've never like had it but i did have my teeth pulled and i had to be put under to get my teeth pulled though because i was so anxious that they were afraid that i was gonna like throw up and then they didn't like the dentist was like you can't i can't save you if you choke so you have to go and put on her you're like that doesn't make me want to get these teeth pulled (laughs) no yeah basically i had to go to a specialist because i was so anxious that they were like concerned oh no another fun fact my my daughter is also strawberry blonde and at the ripe age of five has already been referred to a specialist they're like we're gonna have to put this one under just to clean the teeth and do the things she doesn't even have a cavity yet, but she couldn't. She couldn't hang. Just was like, nope, nope, nope. And so they were like, yeah, we're going to have to like literally put her under. And I'm like, that's not going to go well. So yeah, more sensitive to pain. I've also like when I was pregnant with my first child, we lived in L.A. at the time. And I told my husband, like, I'm really worried that if I don't get the epidural, I will die or murder everyone, including myself. So I still die. So maybe if we could just get somebody to hit me here with a baseball bat hard enough that I could like be knocked out, that would be ideal. And he was like, oh, and I was like, and I'm not kidding. And we're in L.A., so we can find someone for good money. <laughs> like, let's just, like, let's do it. But yeah, I am pretty sensitive to pain. I feel like I'd be medium. The reason I'm saying that, I think, are two reasons. One, like more now with like doing ERP and stuff, I've noticed, or the past that I've done ERP, like I've noticed after a night of drinking when all my friends are like miserable. I'm also miserable, but I'm just like not engaging with the things because like I can't do anything about it. So it's like pass. I also have like aura migraines. So I get like the visual things that was diagnosed with that for a while, like a while, like three years ago. But at the time, I thought it was an eye problem because the pain that I was experiencing from the migraines was not that bad, but bad enough where I now have like brain lesions from my migraines. So it was bad enough where it was causing a lot of issues. But the pain level that I was having, he's like, you should have been out. And I'm like, it just gave me a little bit of stomach aches and like, but I could still like talk. Listen, so I don't know. It's really up in the air well, for that one. Weird, what's weird is a couple of the sites are like redheads have higher tolerance for pain, but we're more mm. sensitive. We're like, okay. I can take it, but it's going to hurt like a it bitch. It could be that. It could be that. It could be that. It could, it could be just, that. I really hate backing down from a fight. I really hate backing da- down That's- from like thoughts and things. I don't mean a physical fight. Don't come at me, internet, because I'm not like trying to fight people. <laughs> 
You go, girl. I love that. What I was thinking as you were saying that is I'm going to guess having been through the ERP lifestyle, your distress tolerance or distress mm-hmm. acceptance, if we want to use that really beautiful reframe. Um, mm-hmm. Some people get real in a thing about that. But if you've done ERP or if you've been an OCD sufferer, whether you've had treatment or not, you've had no choice but to endure distress. And so mm-hmm. having had treatment, <laughs> you do learn how to deal with it. I will say now, like, I remember going to a phlebotomist for like a lab draw for some shit. I don't even remember what it was, which is probably good. But I remember telling the phlebotomist, like, I used to be so scared of needles and it was so hard. And now it just doesn't even affect me. And the phlebotomist looked at me and was like, that's a sad story. And and I'm sorry that you're used to this. And I'm like. Oh, no. Not how I envisioned that conversation you going. You reframed it negatively for me. I was I trying to make a story. I'm like, maybe I need to go back to Nikki because, Nicole, they're like, you're settling. <laughs> well, today, Madison, I am so glad that you're here. We connected over Instagram. I think you reached out to me. I did. But I was a fan already. I follow her on Instagram. We're going to give you guys all the details on that. I was going to say deets, but I think I'm too old to pull that off. I reached out because of the podcast. Like, I just started ICBT therapy, and it, it was all very confusing coming from an ERP mindset for the last nine, ten, like eight, nine months or whatever it was. And then I was just like, oh, there's my caddy. I just keep hearing this name over and over and over. I'm like, I probably should listen to this. So I listened to that, and like, the way that you do the interview with him was just very helpful and then also having the same mindset of like this confusion really like sat with the way that I was feeling so I like reached out to thank you about that because like I feel like that's the majority of everybody like oh yeah you know you want to be I, I understand I get it and it's like no I, I don't get it and I appreciate being open and be like yeah I don't get it yeah. so please explain it to me so I can understand because that's really helpful you know we don't I mean me isn't as a future clinician we don't know it all so it's like it's nice to know that people in the field are open to hearing about it and learning about things they don't know and admitting that they don't know things I think that was a really key point in that interview too that made it easier for me to do the therapy as well as like learn about it well I love that you reached out about ICBT and it was a bit of a mind bend for me to learn about what's really funny is I was talking with a client about this the other day At the time when I talked with Mike, which I have evidence of because I have the the audio from the podcast, I really didn't get it. I went back about a month or so ago and listened to part of the podcast with Mike, the first one, and I was like, oh my gosh, it feels like common sense to me now. Mm -hmm. But it was so hard for me to wrap my mind around. And a lot of people coming into the podcast, the family has either had some exposure with ERP or has no idea, had no idea they had OCD, but they've been living with it. Their loved ones have been living with it for a long time. And it is interesting because here, particularly if you're in the United States, you're going to be hearing more about exposure and response prevention, which is one of the evidence-based treatments and touted as the gold standard for the treatment of OCD. And for good reason, has a lot of research, 50 years, some odd years of research. It's a hard pill to swallow in terms of actually pills are much easier to swallow. Facts. Facts. Yes. Because ERP is really hard work. It is exactly as some might imagine. The name is actually pretty straightforward. 
It's exposing yourself and preventing the response, your compulsion. Which, if it were that easy, we would all just be able to self-correct OCD because we'd be like, sure, yeah, I'm not going to compulse. Great, great idea. Glad we Mm -hmm. thought of that. And so going through exposure and response prevention is very, very difficult. But also there is inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy, which we've been talking about more. And now I'm, I'm not going to even say I'm close to an expert, but I felt this real pressure and hyper-responsibility, if you will. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, to do ERP really, really well. And even though I probably was doing it well with room for improvement, but well, I felt like, oh my gosh, if I get this wrong, I'm going to be reinforcing this in the brain of people. And now it's interesting. Maybe it's a bit of my recovery. Maybe it's a bit of ICBT. Maybe it's a bit of both. But now it's kind of like, I know that I can mess up and I'm going to, I'm going to give myself grace for that. And Uh, It doesn't have to be perfect. We're learning. Like, we're not expected to know everything. And we can't solve OCD for everybody and ourselves completely. But we can provide a lot of really great tools in the management of OCD. So I'm glad that you reached out. We chit-chatted back and forth. And you are one of the only social media influencers that I've actually seen doing reels about ICBT. What? What? You are. And it's not that you can't do ERP ones as well, but but I think when people go to TikTok, when people look at reels on Instagram or Facebook, YouTube is starting with the shorts and all the stuff. But now it's like if you're going to go and find OCD specific content, it is pretty heavily laden into ERP. And so we're going to be talking about hot topics today, one being ICBT in the sense of especially here in the States, it being a newer form of therapy. Now, it still has 30 some odd years of research behind it and a lot of evidence, but it approaches OCD from a completely different angle. You mentioned starting ERP, as did I, and going to ICBT. Would you be open for sharing with the fam here? It's just family time, you know, uh, (laughs) about when and how you discovered that you were dealing with OCD? Yes. So, so long story short, I won't do my whole life, but I've been doing this with this since I was eight years old. And that's when I got an initial diagnosis. But my like first memories of like having OCD were like, do you remember that like childhood game, like step on a crack, you break your father's back. Mm -hmm. Like I was like a six year old, like glued to the sidewalk mm-hmm. every all everywhere I would go and my parents are also like a lot older mm-hmm. they had me like 12 years into their marriage and I'm the oldest so like any time they were late to pick me up like even a minute it was like I was terrified so themes around health and death were like I've always been like a part of my life started therapy at eight got diagnosed JD did talk therapy for 15 years great and let me just say real quick, GAD <laughs> for a new fan, that's generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, GAD. That's, and yeah. it's a very common anxiety disorder catch-all diagnosis. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. So my like first big spiral of mental health, like where it became debilitating because somehow I was still functioning day to day for a long time, even though I was not okay, was when I was 18. I had, I developed like relationship OCD and did not know that's what was happening at the time with my then boyfriend, now fiance. 
was like had some issues with like diagnosis, like people, they people diagnose you with bipolar because the way that I would talk when I was panicking was like so hyped. They would assume that it was mania, but the way it would look, I compulsively talk, then fall asleep because I was so exhausted physically, mentally wake up and do it over and over. So even though I wasn't meeting diagnostic criteria, that was like what they wanted to get. I mean, I want to point that out just because I think there are a multitude of stories that I've heard where people get diagnosed with bipolar, schizophrenia, antisocial personality disorder, but like many different things that are not there and they do not meet the diagnostic criteria. Again, I know that like I'm not yet a clinician, but I've had the classes, I've done the things and like it just doesn't make sense why these things, I guess if you don't know about OCD, it makes sense. But I want to bring that point up just because of that. Again, did talk therapy during that time. Somehow got better. I'm pretty positive I did ERP on my own because I just decided I was going to avoid my then boyfriend because I just wasn't. I wasn't going to let this thing that I don't know what was happening run my life. But was still relatively had a good time until about 23. In October of 2021, I started experiencing chronic derealization. And again, even though I'm in grad school, had absolutely no clue Mm-hmm. what that was. And for those that don't know, it's awful, awful feelings of like unreality. It can happen to anybody. It's not psychosis. It's a form of disassociation where you feel like, for me at least, it feels like who I am is like three feet behind my head. Like I just don't feel fully present. I don't feel attached to my body or my emotions. Things visually look off and it's just a very uncomfortable feeling. I couldn't cry. I couldn't like feel anything. It was just not a great time. Got over that, had a little bit of some cardiophobia fears. And then a couple months after that, the derealization came back. And while compulsively researching, decided that I had schizophrenia. So that oh, was Madison, you so, went full circle, girlfriend. I, it, was, it was great. It just became more enticed than anything I've ever experienced before. Like all these other themes that I now know that I had didn't encompass my entire world like in terms of like anything I would hear anything I would taste anything I would because it like a lot of my compulsions and things were in the fear of developing psychosis and like having that or typically psychosis a lot of things revolves around like your five senses and things of that nature so no matter what situation I was in Mm -hmm. that was what like my brain was going to as well as like the negative symptoms as well so the symptoms of like not having any joy for anything anymore feeling which again comes from the derealization but in my brains meant that. So what happened there was I had went to a new therapist who, again, was talk therapy. And she suggested I do PHP. And I'm in grad school. I was in grad school at the time. So I'm like, I can't do it. And it just continued to get worse. I'm like, I need to figure out a way to do this. I went in to do the initial intake. And I had asked, can I please be in the anxiety OCD program? Because again, at the time, to me, I knew my problem was anxiety, not depression. Mm-hmm. But OCD likes to sprinkle a little bit of harm in there sometimes. So I was having like intrusive thoughts about like swallowing pills or doing like not things that I ever wanted to do, like so, so above like what was actually happening. But me even mentioning that they were like, nah, you got to go in this one. I was like, oh. They're like, nah, you said suicidal things, even yeah, though it so- wasn't, which we'll get right. into. We'll get into on on this. But yeah, so they went ahead and PHP, I'm I'm guessing because certain acronyms, different areas mean different things. Partial hospitalization, I'm guessing. Yeah. So a partial hospitalization program, she goes in for the intake. And because she's had some harm themes, 
at mm-hmm. at some point they're automatically like we need you on a suicide risk unit right okay exactly and this is again prior to knowing i had ocd but they i advocated for myself heavily i'm like can i talk to somebody in the anxiety ocd program i know that's where i'm supposed to be again not thinking i had ocd but just in general so they sent me their anxiety ocd packet instead of talking to somebody like i request I fill out the form. It's not the Y box. It's some other test. I don't know what it's called, but all the compulsions are physical. So therefore, I don't pass. Therefore, no, you cannot. Cool. So I waste about a week and a half in the anxiety depression program. And I finally talk to a social worker or like my case manager, I believe. And she, I tell her what's going on. And she's like, you have OCD. And I'm like, no, I don't. And she's like, yeah, you do. And again, I'm so desperate at this point. I'm like, I don't care. What do I need to do? What do I? And she... And this is where we're going to get into those little touchy ideas of what ERP should be. My very first exposure ever, mind you, don't know anything about Puro, don't know anything about compulsions, don't know anything about anything, right? Puro is on my hot topic list, too. Beautiful. So, like, she, like, tells me, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to record yourself, tearing yourself all of your worst possible fears about how you're going to develop schizophrenia and what that means for you and how you feel about it and all these awful things that you're worried about happening. That was your and first one. And then I want you to watch it over and over and over and over and over again. That was I'm dipping like, her toe cool. in. Dipping your toe in. <laughs> so she told me to do that. And then I didn't see her like for like four days. So she told me just to keep doing that. So I, I kept doing that. Got a little bit worse as one <laughs> would have been. Uh-huh. And again, don't know anything about response prevention. So I'm just sitting here like listening to this tape, watching myself cry hysterically like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is going to happen to me. I talked to the Anxiety City program manager and she's like, yeah, you absolutely need to be in the program. I have someone great that I'm going to work with, put you with. I'm like, great. So my therapist, it's the same therapist I'm working with now, but she, I met her and she also has OCD herself, which again, made a world of difference in treatment, which I can also get into at some point. But she explained everything to me. And her first exposure for me was go and like put on some music and like get ready because I was going out to like dinner for my fiance's dad or something for his birthday. And she's like, go like put on some music and do your makeup and your hair and like do the non-engagement responses I taught you. And then we'll see how that goes. The level of difference, I just like, it just, the moment I'm also like the moment I met her, I'm like, you are going to change my life. You're going to very much help me. Where you're going to teach me at least how to change my life, which she did. And so I was with her through the entire PHP IOP process. And I swear to God, I was like meant to find her. And I say that because she was an intern. And luckily the practice that she ended up working with let me see her during her six weeks of training as well. So I still was able to see her. I find out later, like six months into seeing her, she also had my theme, which again, I know it's not always like the biggest deal. And I don't want people to think that if your therapist doesn't have your theme, then they can't help you. That's definitely not the case. But there was just another level of her understanding to me that didn't make sense. I'm like, how did you know that that's what I was thinking type of thing sometimes when I would say something? And she's like, oh, and then you did this. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Because she had done the same type of thing. So I had been seeing her from March of 2022 to now. But we had been doing ERP religiously until about mid-December of 2022. And during that time, I was like getting better, but I was stagnant. I would say I was about 70% better. Mm -hmm. Be just like back and forth between all these different themes and just not 
like not, it just felt like whack-a-mole all the time. And I'm just sitting here like, I'm going to have to live like this forever. Like this constant, I don't, what's it going to be today? What's good? Like I was functioning, right? I was right. going to school, going to work, seeing friends, going to the gym, eating well, sleeping, doing all the things. But on the inside, there was still 30% of my day that was probably like based in compulsive behavior and thoughts and just not fun. And right. so her being incredibly open-minded and just wonderful. Let's just like, say hi to her too. Like, hi, because I think she'll listen. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> she knows I'm doing this and she's like, that's so awesome. I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, I'm, it is. It is awesome. I'm and we're amazing. proud of you too. That's Thank right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She'd mentioned ICBT. And at this point, again, I trusted her basically so much that I'm like, I will do whatever you say. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say. Let's get, she's like, well, I don't want you to, I'm like, no. You think it could help? Let's go for it. And mind you, I think, and she probably will correct me if I'm wrong, I think I'm her first client that she did ICBT with or started with. It was kind of like this journey for both of us, like for her to understand how to do it and for me to understand how to figure out how to do it. And the first two months of it were kind of this balance between doing both ICBT and ERP, which Mm -hmm. doesn't really work for us personally. So now we really started just honing in on each individual module. So that's what we've been working on. And I don't want to say like ICBT is like the best thing for us because ERP helped me a lot. But like within the last four months, I don't really have the whack-a-mole anymore. I have sometimes days I go or weeks without like these big spirals or big feelings. And like I really, really, and we can again get into ICBT, but love being able to use logic and common sense. And like, there's just things that I learned in ERP that were actually harming my recovery. And again, I can get into that too, but it just, yeah, it just feels more like me and like understanding what's actually happening to me, not the obsession part, but what chemically and like that, what thought processes are happening in my brain to get me to this point. And that feels more like I'm learning to trust myself versus just leaning into, well, I don't know. And in my mind, like, I'm not going to, like, go to a doctor and, like, not know, like, I'm not, like, looking for, like, their credentials. But I'm just kind of trying to express, like, I'm not just going to do things without, like, evidence, I guess. I don't know how to, like, leaning into doing something without knowing why. And I think that was a big issue for me with ERP. I understand why in the sense of, like, well, this is how you solve the compulsion or this is how you not feel the anxiety or those things. But, like. But I would always ask that question to her. I'm always like, okay, but like, what if it does happen? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm tracking you. Yeah. I mean, so if you have had exposure to exposure and response prevention, there is very much a mantra of embracing the uncertainty because just because the thought pops in your head, an intrusive thought doesn't mean that it's real. And for people that are new to OCD, this sounds outlandish and for those of us that have that are well knowing of OCD we're like yeah if the thought is like hey if I don't move this just right my mom will die then Mm -hmm. embracing the uncertainty of like yeah maybe she will maybe she will I guess we'll just have to see sounds ridiculous right to somebody who has no exposure to exposure and response prevention now Why would that be the form of treatment? Well, there's more that goes into it. But if we expose ourselves to the thing that we feel that urge to move, where the stakes feel really high and we don't move it, 
Well, what we're actually helping the brain do is learn that actually chances are not very high that mom's going to die because I didn't move the gnome two inches to the left. I always knew those gnomes were trouble. <laughs> yes, but, but yeah, you know, or whatever the thing is. And so part of how you help the brain relearn is you resist the urge to do these compulsions, usually in these exposure trials, because it is really difficult. That's why it's important to have family support. That's you, OCD family community, so important in there. But therapeutic support, all of that. But there is still a piece of embracing it and like, yeah, and I didn't move the noun. And my brain is going to be like, bitch, you killed your mom. And it's going to be like a Lifetime movie up in here. And we're just going to be like, yeah, yeah. And so that is a really hard pill to swallow. Now, after a certain amount of time, that might dissipate. But like you're saying, it will pop up in other places or it might just go down to a certain percentage. One of my mentors, and he led a group consult for us for many months, Dr. Eric Storch, who is pretty well known in the OCD field. He was on the podcast talking with us about research last year. He used to say in the Behavioral Therapy Training Institute, which is one of the international OCD's main specialty trainings for OCD, he used to say, if you had cancer, and, and we were like, we're going to go in and we're going to remove this tumor or whatever, this cancer. We think it's here. And you came out of surgery and I met with a family and I met with you and I'm like, good news. We got 70% of that cancer. Would you be like, rock on? Like, yeah, you did. Awesome. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, I'm going to die because that cancer is going to grow. It's a 30% now, but it's 100% still there. And so one of the things he would say, and he's done a lot of really great research, groundbreaking research for ERP and a lot of different studies. And so he was saying, let's keep going until it goes down to zero. What you're talking about here in Madison is I was going, I was going hardcore and it was like best, best is going to be 30%. Like the quality of life is still impacted. You may be functional. But the quality of life is still impacted. Now, for some folks, it could go down even more. I'm not saying that it wouldn't. For some folks, they're like, they hear the word exposure and they're like, nah, I'm good, bro. Right? Like, okay. Yeah, I'm just going to like stay in my house and I don't know. Like, I'm just not going to do that. And mm-hmm. so if, if those are the odds that we're looking at, It's good to know that we have more than one option. Exposure and response prevention has a lot of really good sound research behind it. So does ICBT. And, you know, especially as you were even talking about some of your dissociation. I mean, my brain now being in both ERP and ICBT, I'm like, oh, yeah. Because as we learn, we don't have a problem with our logic. But we have our vulnerable self themes where we can get caught up in these obsessional sequences and we can get into this dissociative bubble. And when we're in the bubble, we're going to leave the reality or stop trusting the reality that we use that guides us to stay alive and do amazing things in every other non-obsessional area. And so you're talking about you're in grad school and you're engaged, and you're doing all these things, right? Like, you've got great functionality, you've got great logic, and yet, like, when it gets in those obsessional sequences, well, now we're in the land of irrelevant possibility. 
And so the two different models use similar words, sometimes the same words with opposite meanings, certainty, Mm -hmm. uncertainty, doubt. And so it gets really, really tricky. But it's nice to know we have more than one option. For some folks, they might go ICBT and never have a need to do ERP. Mm -hmm. For some folks, they might do ERP and never have a need to do the other way around. But it's good to know that we have options. So you guys started learning ICBT about the same time I did. I had heard of it. I had heard whispers of it. But even I have a girlfriend. If you're listening, girlfriend. (laughs) Hi. First of all, but we're in a book club. We met at the BTTI. We're in a book club. But she was trying to tell me about ICBT. She was the first person. And I was kind of like, I don't even understand what she's saying. Like Mm -hmm. everything just sounded like so much of like a rumination about like how we're going to try and reframe everything that's an obsession, which anybody who is listening to this, either you have OCD, you treat OCD or you have a loved one with OCD, you know how those thought circles go. Like there's no out rationalizing OCD and it felt like rationalization. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, maybe we should just look into it. I'm like, I'm willing to look into anything, but that doesn't pass the sniff test. (laughs) And then I and then I listened, imagine that, and and was like, holy shit, that sounds actually preferable in a lot of ways for folks that are gonna have a really hard time with that exposure element. So ICBT is a hot topic. One of the things I remember you reaching out to me, and at the time, I wonder if it's even changed a little bit, because I feel like the Mm -hmm. momentum is just growing and growing exponentially here for ICBT. But you had mentioned, like, when you did post about ICBT, initially at least, and again, she's a social media influencer. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't even think of it that way, but more sharing things that, like, I needed to hear in a way that was less reassurance and more information. I don't know. It just... I like to talk about things that I don't think are very well talked about or talked about a lot. Yeah. And it's a great page. But one of the things you were mentioning, too, is you were starting to talk about ICBT was people going like, "Okay, but what? Right. You know. And so can you tell me, do you feel like some of the confusion, the resistance around that has changed a bit? Do you still continue to get a lot of questions about that? What has it been like for you? Because, again, you're one of the few that I've seen out there. There might be others, but I really haven't seen them doing ICVT info reels. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see a lot for ERP out there. Yes, absolutely. So first off, I feel like reels for ERP are much easier to just create because it's a very, it's not a simple thing to do, but it's a very simple, like, this is the thing. This is what you do. The formula. Yeah. Right. There's very nuanced pieces in ICVT and not as much, like, easy language to use. So it is a little bit harder to make some of those things. So that could be part of it. I think another thing is the reasoning is because like, it's just not well known. It's not out there. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I expressed this to you, but I think, I think I might be, I could be wrong. And if you are out there doing this, then let me know. But I might be the only intern ever using ICBT. You know, I'm about to be an intern a month from now and I'm going to use it. So I think that that's a point that in the U.S. it's just not something that's well known. But yeah, when I started posting about it, it wasn't like a, an attack, right? There wasn't anything that anyone was like, this is probable. But there is that those questions, right? Those questions around like, is this reassurance for yourself or rationalizing? or th-? And it's like, 
it's all about the intentionality of how you use it, right? We're not sitting here saying, okay, let's rationalize why I'm not going to harm someone in the sense of like, okay, but I've never, like, I don't, I don't, it's just, there's not, it's not doing it in that sense. It's more doing it in a sense of like, okay, well, what is going on? Why is this the fear that's happening for me right now? Mm -hmm. Is there something in my life or something that I've experienced that could help create this story for my OCD? I think there also has been a lack of understanding about the research because there are a bunch of different studies out there where it's under a different name too. It's not always been like ICBT. I think it's just been inferenced behavioral therapy. Yeah, it was IBT before. Yeah, Yeah. correct. Yeah. So that's an important piece too for people to remember. Like, yes, it's been 30 years, but also I think within the last 30 years, and I might get slack for saying this part too, but I think it's an important conversation to have. In the last 30 years, like we have had more research that goes along with, again, still not enough, but more that goes along with different communities, not just rich white men, which, and again, I'm not giving shit to ERP, but at the same time, like those research studies from 1965, 1960, whatever it is, right, might not have as much distribution of the United States or people in general, which I think is an important conversation to have since in my mind, in a sense, it kind of seems like both ERP and ICBT have almost the same relevance of research when it comes to all different types of people and communities. And I think that there has been more acceptance about ICBT the more that I see people talk about it, especially bigger and bigger social media influencers. We need more research coming out of the U.S. because, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, we're not going to see an uptick in ICBT. And the support for ICBT, unless America endorses it and says, okay, we're studying this. And, you know, you can do a cattle call out to doctorate students or people that are like thinking about this, especially where you're at in your career, where you're like in grad school and ready to go. But a lot of times what happens when people are going in and picking dissertation topics and getting connected with certain universities, they go in and they are joining the research that's already being mm-hmm. done and has been done and has lots of investment and grants and research already developed, and they're joining in on that. And they mm-hmm. certainly do their own dissertation project, but they're joining in on that. And so it's really hard because it's not a part of the current here in the U.S. So it's a current in Canada. It's a current in Europe. It's not a current here in the U.S. And so trying to create that current is hard. But I do think there has been huge growth. When I joined learning about ICBT, there were like, I don't know, seven, eight hundred people going out spreading information. A year before, there were like a handful. Mm -hmm. And now... You know, here we are, May, it's like around 1,500 that are in the group. There's more people learning about it. People are talking about it. And the ICBTers that are here in the States are doing a lot of work to provide skills. There's a lot of information and training available that's even free, which is not common. And so there is a big support and a big push for bringing ICBT. And I think Mike Hetty, I think I just saw he was on OCD Stories Mm -hmm. and talking about, which has a great reach too. And I think talking about ICBT, I would not be surprised if there was a number of people going, well, I've never heard of ICBT. 
I've seen it on comments on your page. I've seen it on other, I've seen it on mine in terms of, tell me more about this. Amongst my top rated episodes and downloaded episodes, like 90% of them are ICBT content. Yeah. And OCPD. People really love OCPD. They're like (laughs) on top of it about OCPD. That's my number one. And it has been for a while. But Mm -hmm. ICBT is really up there. And most of my content that's getting listened to regularly, whether it was published months ago or and it's going to include this because we're talking about ICBT. Mm -hmm. So there is a thirst for people understanding this more. And so I think that is good news for learning that there's hope. Now, if you're an ERP and it's working for you, work it. I like Mm -hmm. the way you work it. No diggity. Go for it. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But ICBT, there's also nothing wrong with doing that. Or if you are getting stuck, I wouldn't jump ship too quickly because that is a very OCD thing, right? It's everything. It's the stakes are right. Let's switch. Like, give it a good shot. Give it a good shot. But if you're plateauing, if you're stagnant, if you're like, I got a 30% tumor and I don't love that. Uh-huh. then know that, and whether it's ICBT or ERP, know that there's more than one option out there. I will just, just say a quick shout out to people like to combine ACT, that's extensions mm-hmm. and commitment therapy, which really tends to go well with ERP. Medication can be, we talked, we just did, but medication, we can talk about medication because that's a hot topic as well. Um, mm-hmm. But medication can be helping There is new research coming out about psychedelics. And so that is a hot topic as well. And also mindfulness. These can be helpful adjuncts. You talked about having the diagnosis or the symptom presentation while in treatment of bipolar. And what I will say is mood disorders can co-occur. There are high comorbidities with OCD, but sometimes I was talking with a colleague that is pretty new to OCD, but she was like, don't you think maybe bipolar gets kind of, I don't know, ushered in with that because there can be some extremes and it feels extreme. And I'm like, yeah, I do think it can. I think they can co-occur or it can get misdiagnosed. What I think is more important than the diagnosis, which is easy for me to say, if you're dealing with that, you might be like, easy for you to say, but that you're getting the skills and tools you need, whatever we call it. And like you said, with even your therapist, I don't care. I trust you, whatever we do, right? Whatever we call it, as long as you're getting the tools, I don't even care if we call it OCD, if you're getting the right tools. The problem is, and you alluded to this multiple times just through sharing your story, which thank you for sharing that, because I'm sure so many people can relate, is that talk therapy, if it is truly OCD, and someone thinks you have generalized anxiety disorder and adjustment disorder or bipolar or whatnot, if you have bipolar, they're probably doing something more like DBT, dialectical behavioral mm-hmm. therapy or something like that. But talk therapy is not always helpful, and it can lead mm-hmm. to more problems. It can lead to you paying a copay <laughs> for a compulsion to Mm -hmm. to and and we're great as long as we're in therapy and then we get out therapy and our life is a mess and then we go back into therapy and i feel so good about myself and then i live and my life is a mess Mm -hmm. and that's not some people are like well isn't that what therapy is no 
I don't I don't think that's what therapy is. Therapy is like if I went to a doctor and I'm like, I'm great in the exam room, but I leave and I'm sick. Would I be like, that's an effective doctor? No, I want to be able to have the tools. I want to be able to heal. I want to be able to move forward. I want to be able to live my best life there. And so in terms of talk therapy, that can be really hard. Because if somebody's just telling you, even with cognitive behavioral therapy, which ERP and ICBT are parts of, cognitive behavioral therapy is great at teaching thought-stopping techniques, reframing, all sorts of things. If you think about that, I mean, avoidance can be a huge compulsion within OCD. So you can pay to learn how to avoid even more effectively. Which does not help OCD. It only makes OCD brew, right? So that mm-hmm. is, so that's difficult. But also you alluded to ERP and when that can be too much. Which your first exposure to ERP, I'm sorry, was too much. And, and yeah, and, absolutely. And, and what I will say is for ERP therapists out there, whether you have OCD or not, but I mean, I know with me for doing ERP, I felt like, I got to make sure I do this right. And yet mm-hmm. it is such an intuitive, selective, as much as there is a formula, there is mm-hmm. a need to understand what is the core fear that we're actually trying to address here? What are these intrusive thoughts? Are we actually addressing them or are we doing more harm? And so you mm-hmm. brought that up and I would love to talk about that a little bit more because I think it is another hot topic of like, can ERP be harmful? We don't want to say it's harmful because we want people to try it. But you know what? Anything mm-hmm. can be harmful. Chocolate can be harmful if you eat mm-hmm. too much of it. Wine, alcohol can be harmful if you overdo it. There's lots of things that are harmful, ERP included, if it's not done well, if it's not done mindfully, and if it's not done effectively. Mm-hmm. So let's talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So. Something that I have noticed, and not anyone like in particular, right? I'm not, want to point out, I'm not calling people out here. I'm not doing any of those things. It's just some trends I've seen online or things of that nature, as well as some of my own experiences, again, with the therapist that I am currently with. And she knows this. We've had conversations. But there'd be times when doing ERP, which added fuel to my obsessions versus calming them down. And what I mean by that is, again, say that Like, for example, when I was doing exposures around like watching videos about people developing schizophrenia, there'd be things that I would see that I didn't know about because I conveniently didn't research every possible thing of every possible thing ever. So I would learn this piece of information. And again, in such a heightened state where, again, my Y box was really up there, very close to 40. I think it was like 36 or 37, something like that, but really up there. So it's like if that was the state I was in and I would learn this information, my brain would take that and give me another intrusive thought that it would play on a loop, right? So I remember an extensive one was like delusions when I watched a video about delusions, right? Whether there's ones about like grandiosity or like people thinking like the person thought like that the birds were watching her. And then literally I went on a walk later on during that day with my fiance because he likes to take bird pictures. Yeah, I'm dating an old man. But he ended up like we were taking pictures, taking pictures. And then my brain was like, oh, my God, that girl with schizophrenia, like thought that the birds were watching her. And like, you just had that thought that what are there? And it just kind of spiraled into this thing where like, that's not something that like I would have ever have done. Right. I think exposure overall is best when used in a values based 
way. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like doing things that the person would have already done anyway, regardless they have OCD or not. So what actually ended up happening was funny. Like I ended up making exposure a compulsion. I am not somebody, I've never been this way. And avoidance is not one of my compulsions, really. Tell me, this is how you fix it. And I was like, I will do anything. Tell me whatever. I, and I would be like, no, I don't feel better. We need to watch another video. And she's like, we're, we're going to try and switch this over to like values-based living and prompt it, like exposures that just happen, mm-hmm. right? Real life, which actually ended up making me much better for long term, which mm-hmm. was wonderful, right? But then it got me thinking about in other ways that that might happen for people, right? And I remember the succinct time I was watching a video about someone doing exposure response prevention that had contamination of OCD, like more germs related. Mm-hmm. The exposure that they did was at their work office, they took a spoon that was in the sink with like some pudding on it and took it and put it in some yogurt and ate it. And I'm like... I don't have contamination OCD. And I was like, oh my God, no, absolutely not. So in my mind, I'm like, why are we going to have people do things that they would never do in the first place, right? Another good example, I would think like, say someone has like possession OCD. So the fear of like being possessed, right? And they have never liked horror movies, never liked demonic type of movies or like things that scare them, right? I don't think it's, like totally great to have them watch like a horror movie if that's not something they enjoyed. Reverse though, if horror movies were something they loved and are now avoiding because of this possession OCD, absolutely have them watch that horror movie as an exposure. But I just don't see the value in having somebody do something that not even a normal person would do, right? Normal people wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. Right. Right. So it's like, Someone that sears germs and like if someone's like, don't wash your hands after you were touching dogs or going to the bathroom, like that's not something that somebody without OCD would do. And I know, well, we have OCD, so therefore we're different. I don't want to be with a treatment provider personally that views me as like you need to change everything about who you are and do these things that you would never actually do OCD or not in order to feel better. Right. It doesn't make sense in my brain. And after I discussed it more with my therapist, she's like, yeah, I, again, I was one, she was an intern. I'm not hating on her, too. They were normal things to do. Right. Someone that has mental health OCD, what exposure is you going to do besides the like watching videos and things? So I get that. But I think there are different ways to have people do exposures that are going to get them back into what they truly want, which is their life, not give them this space where they're going to feel more fear that they never had to in order to get better. It's kind of where that mindset comes from for the exposure aspect of it. There's some other stuff too, but. It totally makes sense. And really that values-based language that you're using is a lot of what we would find in ACT, Mm -hmm. acceptance Mm -hmm. and commitment therapy. Not just that, but going, hey, is this something that's in sync that vibes with you, that reads for you, right? And the word we use in the OCD community is egocentonic. Is it in sync with you? How I explain it, because why not? It is May. I'm Justin Timberlake. Absolutely. In sync. I always think, I always explain like in sync. I may be dating myself, but is it in sync? Is this in the flow with what you vibe with? Or is this egodystonic? 
Is this something that's really terrifying and distressing? And uh, where you can do an exposure, you could do 100 exposures and make zero progress if it is not ERP, if it's not the response prevention, and if it's not in line with your values and you're like grabbing on, gripping on for a dear life, then you're going to make it through the exposure, but you're not going to learn that you're okay. Your brain isn't going to learn that it's okay. It's going to be like, well, we survived that harrowing thing. And my life is just about needing to do these dumpster dives now, right? I don't like that. That doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. If it's not in line with your values. Yeah. It reminds me very much of like, and again, if you're not, if you're a mathematician, disregard but it reminds me of a lot of the things I learned about in math right like I I again say some of this harm OCD no someone that has that is not going to hold a knife to their wrist just a random day someone that has like scrupulosity is not going to write a cross upside down in their daily life it's like I did these things to feel better but they're not adding value to who I want to be and I know I'm using that value space a lot I really do connect with actors while I have a tattoo a choice point tattoo on my arm it's the logo for my shop as well. But either way, like, it's like, there's just these things. It reminds me very much of like, okay, I'm doing this now because I like have to and potentially causing myself more fear where we could do something else that might be more like, oh, I'm going to go to a cemetery and visit a loved one, which I would do. Right. Even though I'm scared of possession, like I'm going to do, I, that's going to add value because I learned, hey, I can still, I can go to a cemetery and that's something I would do. And that is something in treatment that makes sense. I'm going to drive because I have to drive, but I'm not going to, you know, try and drive backwards in a scary situation. Like it just, there's just things that I don't personally think that need to happen when you're doing exposure therapy. And I think that's why it gets such a bad rap. Sometimes there are a lot of like things that people see out there or horror stories that people hear from other people. Like, yeah, I had to hold a knife to my wrist or I had to write a cross upside down, but like, I'm better now. Like someone that's in that spiral, who's going to be like, yeah. I want to do that versus like, yeah, I had to go to a cemetery and like it was really scary for me. But like that was my exposure. Like I had to drive around the block or I had to watch a horror movie I've already seen before. But like I really liked it. Like it just to me makes more sense to give it this vibe of like, how can we do exposures that are things that somebody would be already doing or has already done? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot about this during the intersectionality series when we're thinking about LGBTQIA plus folks, when we're thinking about BIPOC folks, when we're thinking about just a lot of different intersections. We want to be mindful in ERP. We want to look at, yes, we're embracing uncertainty, but we also want to look at what is that core fear? And if the, say, the person, is getting impulsive thoughts of racial slurs. And it's very, very upsetting because it's not in sync with who they are, not egocentric in sync. It's ego dysonic. It's very distressing. Like, I'm not a racist person and I love people of all races. And, I, and this could be any race. It's not to be one particular, like anybody can, can deal with those kind of OCD type thoughts. Well, the exposure would never be let me go out and call somebody a racist slur five times and mm -hmm. be like, maybe I am a racist. Maybe I'm not. Like, mm -hmm. you would never, because that actually would be harming 
And that's why this was such a distressing thought. It's a harmful thing, right? Saying these racial slurs perpetuate harm. And so we would never do that. Similar, another good example with pedophilia OCD, which a lot of people don't understand. They hear the word pedophilia. They think sex kids. No. And Mm -hmm. we agree. In fact, the person with OCD, pedophilia OCD, will be the first. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sex kids, mm -hmm. no. No, 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 don't like that. Don't want to do that. Don't want to. What kind of monster could I be if I even fathomed something? I mean, OCD has some pretty trademark what if questions. Mm -hmm. Am I this monster because I could think something like this, right? Like what's wrong with me? Maybe does that secretly mean that I want to do this? I am so disgusted with myself. I saw a statistic. I'll have to double check before I post this, but I think I saw it from No CD. Maybe Patrick McGrath was sharing it. Maybe it was somebody else. But people with OCD are 10 times more likely to commit suicide than general mental health public because, well, I can't say, speak to the because, but I'm going to do some supposition and go because it is so hard. To have these thoughts that are so egodystonic and so intrusive that, like, how can I make this noise stop, right? Like, I, I can empathize with mm-hmm. how distressing that is. And it's a very, very difficult place to be in. One of the things you mentioned about when you were going into partial hospitalization, which I think often gets confused. Well, actually, a couple things. Psychosis, first of all. I had this real aha moment a couple of years ago because I have had a myriad of clients and uh, people that have had, especially in our local community, as a mental health provider, been diagnosed with a psychotic disorder, some kind of presenting in psychosis. And usually the person has never had psychotic episode before, very tired because they can't sleep because... They are so terrified and they are not eating regularly, which anytime you're eating and sleeping or out of whack, maybe your medications are on or off. But either way, not sleeping, not eating and feeling so much distress about what if, what if, right? Like our local hospital system deals with this a lot. In pediatrics and in adults and in geriatrics. And those geriatrics will be put on an Alzheimer's unit or grouped with people where it's like, yeah, that's what we expect from them. When really you can be getting to this this space, as you talked about with the depersonalization, of being so distressed already, if we look at it from that ICBT lens, understanding that when we are in the OCD bubble going into that dissociative state and not eating and sleeping on top of it, we have some real misunderstandings around psychosis going on, especially in our higher levels of care, which is unfortunate because that is where people that are experiencing these extreme symptoms are going to end up, right? And so if they are not fully understood that is a real problem but one of the aha moments I had a couple years ago I went I think it was Dr. Hudak Robert Hudak I might be pronouncing his name incorrectly sorry doc if I am because I'm sure he's listening like Nicole 
<laughs> That's like almost reducing you to a Nikki comment here. But <laughs> yeah, what I would say is he was talking about while there can be an overlap of OCD and schizophrenia, also some of the psychotropic medications, the antipsychotics in particular can have side effects that increase OC symptomology. So that's the obsessive compulsive symptomology. So anything that presents and looks like OCD can seem even more extreme if you're on antipsychotics, which anybody being hospitalized for psychosis is going to be put on an antipsychotic. And in addition to that, he talked about that egocentonic, egodystonic nature. So if someone is psychotic and it's not an OCD-related thing, more egocentonic, like, hey, I'm Jesus, that's right, and we're going to light this place up. And I'm cool with that because that was on my to-do list today. <laughs> Versus, what if I accidentally hurt somebody and I killed somebody and I'm not safe and I might even kill myself and I can't even be around a pair of safety scissors, let alone cutlery. I could do things with floss that I just thought of. So in that respect... Is that true psychosis? Well, somebody may be tripping hardcore, but are they also not eating? Are they stressed as shit? Are they not sleeping? And is this the last thing in the world that they would ever want to do? If that is the case, and we don't have any previous history of psychotic history, and, and I'm not saying like no psychotic episodes in the hospital because they might have had other episodes like this one where they're mm -hmm. temporarily hospitalized. But if we don't have, like, an actual history of a psychotic disorder, that looks more like OCD, and people don't understand that. And once you get institutionalized in the system as someone with a psychotic disorder on antipsychotics and Cyprexa and clonidine and all the things, like, that's a hard one to break. She's nodding because she's, like, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. So let's talk about that a little more because you talked about psychosis and we'll, we'll also talk about the difference between suicidal ideation and harm OCD as well as homicidal ideation. But let's start with psychosis first. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple different things, right? So the bipolar diagnosis, thankfully, never stuck because at 18, I was very, I advocated, again, advocated myself heavily. So I was like, that's not me. My problem is not this. It's that I don't think I love some that I'm supposed to and I don't know what to do about it type of thing. So like, again, I've always been a very, no matter what state, advocating for myself heavily. But again, it was just this constant back and forth between me and this practitioner. And I'm sitting here like, lady, I know you're the one or like a nurse practitioner. I know you're the one that's supposed to be here. But one, you've known me for 15 minutes. I'm not taking anything that my psychiatrist does not say that I can. Like, it's just not, we're not doing it. Right. Yeah. And she's just sitting here listing off to me all the reasons why she thinks I am. And I'm like, I, I understand that, but it's just incredibly frustrating, too, because, again, being in a graduate's level space, my own, like, training of OCD, and again, great example, however, not all example, was Howie Mandel. That's it. Which, again, is a great example. He has OCD. He's a wonderful advocate. But there's a whole other level beyond contamination that nobody knows about, mm -hmm. right? I'm somewhat educating my own professors, like, explaining, like, this is what ERP is. This is the internship I want to do. And like, there's just a lack of awareness and even clinicians, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm explaining to coworkers or because I'm a CRSS and I work with in, in the mental health field already, but when I'm explaining to coworkers about it or my 
current cohort about it. They're like, I've never heard that before. That makes no sense. Like, how does that work? Like, what does this mean? And I understand that too, because there is not enough time to teach everything, right? It is somewhat on us sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I also really appreciate when people are open and being like, oh, okay. So if that's not psychosis, then what is OCD and how does that work? And I think an important piece with the psychosis OCD that I've, I've personally experienced is the brain is insane. <laughs> insane. And I mean that in a very funny way. I don't mean like that you're insane. If I was hearing something, I was hearing something. Mm -hmm. If I smelled something, I'm like, this isn't here. Or like, it, it just, if your brain, I think one of the examples that I had in PHP, one of the therapists was like, think about a pain on your foot. Like really, really, really think about it. And just like, that's the only thing you do. And like, eventually your foot will start to hurt. Mm -hmm. It's the same with whatever like you're obsessed about, right? Mm -hmm. Just because, because my brain is constantly searching. And please don't use this as reassurance because I'm sitting here saying it and I'm like, people are going to listen to this and re-listen to it. But it's still important to say, right? I think that when your brain is so latched onto something, mm -hmm. that's all you're going to think and hear. So like, if you hear, like whispers when like the fan is on like an AC unit, like you're going to think that's voices and like that's not. But because your brain is in this state, you're going to go to that conclusion and then you're going to go to your psychiatrist, your therapist. I'm hearing things. I don't know if I believe delusions. And the main difference, and I think it's so incredibly important for therapists that are listening or people in general, if there is not a level of like, if you don't think that the people in their life are like, they're not acting different in the respect of like, they are still trying to get sleep. They're still eating. They're just terrified if they're never saying like, if they're saying terms or things like, I'm not really sure if I'm hearing things or if I really believe this. I'm not 100% sure. Like, I really think that I am, but I don't know. Like, is it, it's always a back and forth with OCD when you're trying to explain what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Same with pedophilia, same with farm. Like, oh, I think I might be attracted to that kid and if freaks me out but like I'm not 100% sure because I don't really I know I don't like kids but I don't really know if, and it's just this constant and if if there is a question that's most likely not psychosis or mania or whatever it is because people that are experiencing it for the first time don't yeah question going on right yeah in psychosis it's more like I'm here for it you know right you, when you gave the example of, I saw this documentary or I watched this video and the woman thought she could talk to the birds. Do I think I could? You know, oh, my gosh. And I just had that thought. The difference in true psychosis is, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said because I was having the conversation with a bird. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, were you talking? Mm -hmm. Bird and I were talking. That's important. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not a question. It's, we're here, we're chatting. Right. It's not a, I watched this once and maybe categorically there's a percentage of possibility. That's right. not how the rationale is going. And so in terms of hearing that, and if there is a heavily laden, thick layer of distress along with that, I mean, a person in true psychosis is like, I'm saving the world. That's what I'm doing. What? Versus that terrified, terrified, yeah. intrusive, again, intrusive place. Not what I want to be doing. So when we think about harm OCD, and I, I think, again, this comes up a lot in 
particular when we're thinking about hospitalization settings in terms of hospitals taking in. There is something called a 5150. If somebody was suicidal or homicidal, usually you have to consent, especially if you're an adult. If you're 18 or older, you have to consent to go and get medical treatment for something. You have rights there. But if you're not an adult, if you're a dependent or you are an adult, but for your safety, for the safety of someone else, to protect someone from dying, literally that high of a stake, you can be involuntarily held, typically for up to 72 hours, because apparently it only takes 72 hours to chill that shit out. Amazing turnaround, really. 72-hour holds. 5150s, these are some of the terms in the vernacular that can be used. We had, before I left LA, I was program manager at a community mental health center where we had to start being LPS trained, which stands for something. I don't remember because I was pregnant when I was supposed to learn it and my brain doesn't retain it. But it was basically us now as practitioners having to initiate and basically do the 5150s. Police weren't going to be doing it anymore. First responders weren't going to be doing it anymore. And what it is, is it is a protective measure for folks that are in a place where life is so important that if you're suicidal and you're at risk, at high risk for following through with some suicidal ideation, thoughts, plan, any effort towards ending your life, well, we're going to do, even if I'm a complete stranger, I'm going to save you if I can, right? But when it comes to OCD and a very common theme of OCD, harm OCD, whether towards self or others, is this fear that what if I could hurt somebody? What if I hurt myself? What if I saw a knife and I just imagined myself slitting my wrist and it made me so upset that I almost vomited and now I'm terrified that I'm not safe to be around knives or any sharp objects? In fact, I might not even be safe to society because if I could kill myself, maybe I could kill you. What if I killed somebody and I don't even remember it because that is how much of a psychopath I am? I wouldn't have had the thought if I wasn't a psychopath. So that kind of thinking can happen where people get really scared and then they say something to someone and they're like, well, shit, that sounds like suicidal ideation, right? So they have them assessed. And then what happens is if someone is put in an involuntary hold, then they are held with all the people that are their worst nightmare. They really want to kill themselves. And now you're like, I must want this because I'm here with this group of my peers, everybody ready to kill themselves. It is terrifying. It adds trauma onto that and it only causes the spiral to go deeper. And so it gets really tricky because it's hard for people and often they're going through like a measure. They're going through like a worksheet of yeses and nos and how long and how many times in the last two weeks, da, 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 right? Like, and if there's a plan and if there's whatever, if you saw like, oh yeah, I saw myself grabbing the knife and stabbing someone or slitting my wrist. Well, it sounds like you have a plan and now you're being hospitalized. Again, the really important piece to listen to is, is this egocentric? Is this something like, I have lost hope and I don't even know how to function anymore and I just want the noise to go away. I want to get a knife. 
So we're definitely having a trigger warning for this episode versus the last thing I would want to do is do that. And gosh, and uh, my family and my kids and my husband or fiance or anybody, right? And so being able to distinguish, is this something I want? And by want, want's a generous term when we're talking about true suicidal and homicidal ideation. Like, Mm -hmm. I am feeling so hopeless that I just don't know how I can keep going is very different than I am so afraid that I might hurt myself or somebody else and I might be a psychopath. In fact, I would love it if you locked me up, maybe, because I don't think I'm safe to society. And then at least I know I'm not hurting somebody. There's that end of the spectrum. And then there's also the worst nightmare because now I'm just like, I must want this because I'm with everybody else that wants to do this. And we're sitting in group therapy or playing checkers on the weekend. And we're sitting and talking about how we were going to kill ourselves or not. Like, this is not an ideal environment for a harm OCD person. But it happens, y'all, and it happens often. It happens a lot. A lot. There, again, even for myself, there was not, when I was doing the intake paperwork, I said those words. I said, yeah, I haven't thought. So, like, I don't want to do it. This is a fear of mine. Like, yeah, I'm having like some of these thoughts about like wanting to solve pose. Like I've asked my fiance to take things away. Mm-hmm. Like please get it away because I, I'm afraid. I'm so deathly terrified of even touching the bottle. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just this, and I get it because there's also that other hand of that clinician. Like, well, that's my license if, you know, if you do it. So I, I get it, but it's still, it's not, it's not fair. There needs to be some kind of middle ground of like, okay, if this person is saying, I'm truly terrified and I don't want to do these things, then how can we try and find that middle ground of not just checking the box and instead going, okay, well, let's talk about that a little bit more so I can be a little bit more clear. Because right now what I'm hearing on my end is that you want to kill yourself, that like I'm, that's based off of the way, the things that I've learned in school or the things that I know. But like, if that's not how you feel, let's talk about how that's not really what's going on with you. And I understand people might not have all of that time but if you're doing something for an intake on two different programs a php for anxiety ocd or a php for anxiety depression or trauma or whatever it may be maybe we should give a little bit more space to this hey i don't want to do this yes i've had the thoughts like yes you have to click the box that yes i've had these thoughts last week but i don't want to do it like we need a space to find a middle ground of like me as the clinician yeah i need to we need to talk about that a little bit more instead of just going yep they need to be hospitalized or they need to be in this program because they had one thought one time within the last two weeks or they have this repetitive. Well, and it's hard because there's different levels of training. And so someone who's going through like an intake checklist may not have that training. They may not have any clinical training. Most are going to have at least some, but still it's like to make that call. Like, yeah, I mean, talk about the stakes being high. If that person was truly suicidal or homicidal, that is someone's life at risk and yet there are plenty of stories i've had a number of clients come out of hospital systems very traumatizing stories where they're like i don't want to do this i don't want to do this and i'm like i get it i get it i get it but there is a real breakdown in the understanding in those higher level care institutions, unless you happen to be in a town or an area where you're near Rogers or McLean or Denver's opened up some new stuff. I think it's Rogers as well. 
But yeah, I mean, it's the bigger cities are going to have better resources, but even sometimes bigger cities are missing some of that. I don't know. I mean, you're in a big yeah, city. <laughs> I am in a big city, but yeah, there are there are a couple places, right? I I'm not going to name names, obviously, since I've not said the best things about where I've currently did my PHP IOP. Like I found my therapist, love her, she's wonderful. But there are multiple different options for me. And I'm very grateful that I had that experience. Again, going into it, I might may have chosen differently based off of what each institution is for. But saw my therapist, love her. It worked out for me. But it's it can be it's a lack of resources, it's expensive. There's yeah. a lack of resources for clinicians, for clients, for and it's unfortunate. Like I get messages every day about like do you think this, you think, and obviously I'm like, I'm so sorry, I can't answer, it's unethical, but like, here's some resources. And they're like, I don't have the money. I don't have anywhere near me. And it's like, it's just heartbreaking because we obviously want people to feel good and feel okay, but it's not always an option, which is very unfortunate and why I advocate so heavily. As we were talking about ICBT earlier too, like a person in my life, like we had talked over the summer and they were like, shit, I might have OCD. And I recommended my therapist to them and they started and they have not had ERP at all. They've been all ICBT. And like, again, I'm not shitting on ERP. It helped me get back into my life. I said this to my therapist. I'll say it to y'all. I don't know if I could have done ICBT in the state that I was in when I met her. I really don't. I don't know if I could do it. I've said that to her multiple times. So it might take people needing to do ERP first to get them back into their life because I wasn't living. I wasn't going to work, wasn't doing all those things. But anyway, she's doing just ICBT. And I think that's wonderful for her. The fact that she does not have to do some of these things that would ultimately be scary to her. A little low-key jealous, right? Like, if I have, like, not had to do all that shit, it's hard. ERP is hard. It's not to say that ICBT isn't hard in its own it's way, hard. but it is such a different way of attacking the animal yeah yeah it came hard too because like doing from erp to icbt there was a difficult transition period yeah right another thing that like was difficult for me with erp i don't know if this is for everybody or just myself but i was very gung-ho i'm like i need to know exactly how to do this and do it right and blah blah blah. and we were going when we were doing icbt to me everything was a compulsion everything and ERP kind of taught me that and in a sense of like, well, if you if you check, if something still hurts, then that's the compulsion. If you think about that past experience, that's the compulsion. But like if you think about it, and this is something that ICBT has taught me to do, and I'm not suggesting we just go gun haul on compulsions, but that's things normal people do, right? If you're if you're having like trouble breathing, a normal person they notice it, right? Noticing something that is makes you uncomfortable is not always rumination or not always like compulsive right if we have if we hit our leg against something right if we hit and it hurts we're not going to go ah oh, maybe it hurts maybe it doesn't <laughs> oh wow that hurts like hey you're like why you know that stinks that that happened and so icbt going from that transition to like having to sit there and no, you have to think about like what's going on in your head right now and why we're coming to this conclusion was insane to me and yeah i'm trying to think of who it was i think it was jeremy dr jeremy schumann who i'm gonna be presenting with at the ocd conference this summer i'm pretty sure it was him if not i'm just giving jeremy all the credit apparently and i'll have to go back to fix it later 
but it's on brand for Jeremy. He's very insightful. But he was uh, talking about if somebody was sitting on a tag, we don't need to go like, hey, are you in pain? We need to tolerate the uncertainty of the pain or not the pain and learn to live with it and just be with this tack. This is our tech life. But we can still live to our values. I'm going to go to my kid's birthday party with a tack in my ass, right? He didn't quite Great. say it like that. That's my eloquent reframe. But he would be like, no, please take the tack out. You don't need to live life with that tack. Ouch. Yes, nobody would want a tack. And I think that it can get to that place with ERP sometimes or even with OCD sometimes. I know I've had this talk before where people are like, well, this is like I just lived my life and I've learned how to live this way. And it's like, okay, but it doesn't have to be that way. I don't need to convince you otherwise, but we can go, hey, did you know that there's a tack sticking on your backside? Oh, that's kind of what my therapist did for me. Because I during during session, I would constantly, when we were doing ICP, I'm like, oh, this might be compulsion. And she's like, we're done saying that because you thinking is not always a compulsion. If we're doing ICBT, at least, I'm not thinking of doing ERP, but if we're doing ICP, we need to take that idea of every single thought or noticing or checking is compulsive right again derealization has been a large issue for me for a long time and to me it can seem even as a somatic theme right so for me there is this level of like checking and when i would i would always think that's a compulsion right but there was both a compulsion of checking but then saying i can't think about this i can't notice it i can't it's compulsion it's all and it would just keeping me stuck so her going no you can notice it but we're noticing it and then going, this holds no value. There's nothing in this story. Like you can notice something because normal people would notice that we're uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. But normal people also wouldn't like give it all their attention all day wrong, right? So it's, yeah, you can notice it. That's not a compulsion because normal people notice when things are strange or off. You notice when you have a headache, right? But you do the, the sequence, the reasoning categories, understanding why this is happening and then going, oh yeah, that's dumb. I don't need to going to the story. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. And yeah, I notice it. But hey, like, it'll pass just as it has it always has. So that idea of like, the moment I notice something not going, no, yeah, has been awesome for me, right? Going from that ERP mindset of everything I was doing was a compulsion, or I've got to make sure nothing I was doing was compulsive to thinking is not always compulsive and noticing things it's not always compulsive that's been really helpful too yeah it's really interesting i remember one of my first experiences with erp and there was like i am the erp person for 100 miles so it's like i was like well i'm either doing no cd app or i'm just running some shit on myself but i remember i have a lot of car anxiety and i always have and i was in the car and i remember telling myself like okay if this was ERP, then what do I think is going to happen? I don't even know. Do I think I'm going to die? I don't think I've ever thought like, oh, I'm going to die. But that would suck if I died. Mm-hmm. Sure. But on an ERP perspective, let's say, like, what is the core fear here? Like, ultimately, why would it matter ultimately if I'm in the car and could get hurt? I guess I could die. Well, and then I would die and that would suck, right? Then I wouldn't see my kids grow up and all those things. Oh, my gosh. Right. You know, but I also wouldn't have to unload the dishwasher, which is good because (laughs) I feel like I did it the last three times and I'm done. 
Right. And so I started doing the ERIP on myself. And I remember at one point as the anxiety continued to build, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to tell myself I'm going to die. 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 And you know what? The anxiety did reduce. It got higher first and then it reduced. And I went, oh, right. You know, it was like, hey, I'm, I'm into that. I'm into it not being there. Which it had always been there, but it always felt very temporary, even as a compulsion sometimes, if it provides relief, can feel temporary. <laughs> because next time I'd be in the car, I'd, be, I'd find myself reacting and then I'd be like, oh, right, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Right. You know, and then I thought, like, I say the same shit, different day, same theme, different day. I learned ICBT and I was like, Where's the moment I'm leaving the here and now reality? I'm driving down the road. Was it even before I even got in the car driving down the road? I'm knowing I'm going to need to drive down the road. Oh, it was nighttime. Nighttime is probably going to be worse for whatever reason. And so nighttime is going to be harder to see. And somebody pulls up on a street, leaving a neighborhood, not driving recklessly, people, just a car that's like hunky-dory, like leaving their neighborhood. And I'm like, alert. (laughs) Everything is like, we're going to die, right? That's the feeling in the body. And I realized like, okay, so if that's where that entered, and if that wasn't true, I'm not going to argue with OCD about whether it's true. Maybe they're drunk. Maybe they're whatever. Maybe something will happen. Maybe it'll be a fluke. Maybe I won't catch it, which is definitely my vulnerable self thing. Maybe I will miss this somehow. Somehow I would have been negligent to notice this car's pulling out. Or it'll be too late and I won't be able to stop it. And I could have if I just knew, right? That's my vulnerable self thing. I was like, so if that reads for me that I could be negligent and then somehow this car that's like not even near me, it's like 200 feet away, it's pulled out, went the opposite direction, like no chance for collision or anything. Like... If that's my vulnerable self-theme, and I tend to get caught up in this vulnerable self-theme in a lot of different areas of life, then that reads. That reads that I would, I'm looking for that problem without Mm -hmm. even knowing it, right? And so I remember having that conversation with myself on my way home or somewhere. I don't know. Anytime I'm in the car, just pick a time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, now that feels different. Because now I'm not even feeling anxious. I didn't notice the 20 other cars that probably were going by or whatever things. Things that I would have been like, oh, my gosh, I could map out a whole sequence. (laughs) We could get the string and the pins and (laughs) right. And that feels different. And I don't have to. It's not that it never comes up, but I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's my vulnerable self. Like, it's very different than going, I'm going to die. 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 Right. And so it's like it's not to rip on ERP. It can help the brain learn this new reaction. Right. And I was always acting in that way. And so I was helping the brain learn something new. But yeah, I mean, do you want 30 percent of that tumor? Do we want 30 percent of that tumor left? No. And so I think ICBT has been really helpful. And even ICBT is not always going to be able to obliterate any given thing. But being able to have multiple approaches where we can go, okay, I don't shop exclusively at Target. I don't shop exclusively at Amazon, but I shop at both. 
And if I want something, I could get it maybe one or the other, or do I need it now, or do I want to do it in person, or do I not want to leave? Like, I can use more than one thing to meet my needs. And so I found that to be very helpful with ERP and ICBT. And I'm very, again, I'm glad you said that because I think that they're, that's like the main problem we have this conversation about, like these two approaches. And maybe it's just the interactions I've had with some of the people in my life, right? Because there's been like, that doesn't work. There's not enough research. And it's like, well, two things, right? Why is OCD the only diagnosis that only gets one treatment? Right. right? One gold standard treatment, right? right? So many treatments for depression, so many treatments for like, again, I'm, I'm not fluent in everything, but my point being, there are multiple different modalities for multiple different things, right? So why is this the one thing? Two, it is researched. Maybe not, you haven't read the research yet or it's not accessible yet, but it's there. And two, in a disorder that the therapist asks the client to be flexible, why do some choose to be rigid about the approach? If we are asking the people that we want to be flexible and when we're not going to be flexible ourselves, that's where some of my questioning comes in about it again. No one in particular. I do think there has been definitely an increase in people that are open to it, especially the more voices that talk about it, the more you learn about it. And I'm so incredibly grateful um, for that. And I'm glad that my therapist was one of them. But I think that's a part of the important thing. You have to be open. And I'm trying to be more open, right? I'm not personally a fan of the psychedelic stuff right now, right? But that doesn't mean that it's not there. And I have to notice my own bias of, hey, just because there isn't enough research doesn't mean that 10, 20 years down the line when you're doing cl like clinical work that you might not be given psychedelics to somebody that has OCD, right? So we know this is the gold standard, right? And we know that it works. But at the same time, for 40% of people, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And what do we do for those people? I mean, if we want to get into it really, ERP didn't work for me in the 100% aspect, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of people like that. I don't, I didn't want to sit there every day saying that like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to develop psychosis, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, don't worry about it. It just felt very rigid in the respect of, oh yeah, okay, nope, you can't think about this, this is what you got to think about instead, where ICBT is very much like bringing me back to who I am and what's truly going on with me. And you can trust who you are and yourself, which is so freeing. And again, reminder, ERP helped me incredibly. It was incredible mm -hmm. that I felt relief to the extent that I did. But there was just that piece that felt like that was missing. And I really, I'm not a person that takes 20, 30% as it, right? I'm somebody that I have OCD, right? But OCD not have me. And yeah, I mean, again, it just goes back to like, if it was cancer, we wouldn't be like, cool, 30% mm -hmm. cancer. Well, not the 100% it was. And you're like, mm -hmm. not good still, not great. Don't love that for you. Want better, right? And so we can want better for ourselves too. And also because our brains are so creative, that's why these intrusive thoughts that's why these obsessional doubts can be so absorbing because they're so they, it, it feels real. It feels like the stakes are so high. Well, we've talked about a lot of different things and a lot of this really good content. Yeah. And I appreciate it, Madison. So tell us where we can find you. You're on Instagram and TikTok. Is that right? I'm on Instagram and TikTok. All the things are obsessively strong on Instagram, on TikTok, on Etsy. I do sell OCD mental health stickers because we know the merch out there is Christmas disorder, cat disorder, 
coffee to start are like just not wonderful things, right? So there's some mental health stickers on there. There's some OCD specific on there. And also I'm a weightlifter. So there's some weightlifting and body positivity, food positivity things on there as well. Would really appreciate the checkout for all of those things. But those are the main places you can find me. Love it. So I'm going to link her on the blog and again, obsessively strong on Instagram, TikTok, and Etsy. Yes. Yeah, so you can look her up. And really, what I like if you've been curious about learning more about ICBT, you can see the little vignettes, the little reels. Like, again, I'm hoping to see more people putting things out there. But man, I'm always nudging my ICBT colleagues going, hey, check this she's she's like i appreciate it yeah oh man well and you're appreciated more than you know in that because it's it's good to have that for erp too and you do some exposure-based content as well but but like if you're going at the hashtag intrusive thoughts which is just a shit show of not even fully ocd it's just a it's a trend it's a trend <laughs> it's a trend but if you're looking for people to be able to see ICBT in action, and because it is kind of hard, especially at first, to explain it, it's like, how do you condense ICBT down? If you want to kind of see words put into action, if you enjoy reels or tiki talks, as I like to call them, like, check out Madison, because she's doing really great work in raising awareness. And yeah, I'm sure we'll continue to see great things from you, Madison, as you continue on in the field so thank you for taking the time to chat with the ocd fam here of course i was very happy to be here very happy to share some opinions share some things that i've experienced and i appreciate the work that you do sharing awareness for multiple different topics and ocd treatments for it different stories love it we talked some hot topics we talked red hair we did it all so thank you so much and i you know wish you well as you go in with clients as you continue to do the work and just raising awareness. I mean, it, it, the ripple effect, truly, you'll never know the the ripple effect, but it is making a difference. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And therapists, hey, you, thank you too. for Absolutely. Thank them. Yes. 100% your therapist. Well, you take care, Madison. Have a great summer and thank you so much for spending the time. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Oh, goodness. That, that was great. Madison, thank you once again for taking the time to share your personal journey with OCD, your insights and experience as you complete your education to help support other people that are on similar struggle buses here. And thank you for the advocacy that you're doing on the regular to help people know that they're not alone. You rock, girlfriend. And your ripple effects are already taking shape. So thank you for including our OCD family community in the great work that you're doing, sister. And we'll continue to support and cheer you on as well as you continue to fight not only for yourself, but for guiding others through their treatment as well. Also, in this intrusive thought segment, which is my application segment of the show for any new familia in town, I'm inspired by our hot topic conversation. And I want to encourage you to look, fam. To look at the treatment that you're doing right now for OCD, for yourself, for your loved one, and ask yourself, is this helping us to address value-driven goals and to really target core fears that get us back to our value-driven lives? Is our treatment helping resolve inferential confusion or is it going too far? 
Is it missing the core fear? Is it getting caught in obsessional sequences instead of recognizing the here and now evidence? For some folks, this is going to mean taking a look at, are we even going to treatment? Like Madison said, she gets questions on the daily, y'all. On the daily, folks desperate for help, unable to access, afford, or engage in treatment. And while the information and resources that she can share, or I can share, or even great resources from IOCDF, which is the International OCD Foundation, like their Lunch and Learns and Roundtables, or ICBT at icbt.online or over on ICBT's new YouTube channel. Well, all that content can be so, so helpful. It's not treatment. If you or someone you know or someone you love is suffering from the debilitating distress of OCD or an OCD-related disorder, you're worth this investment. In one of my first episodes with OC dad Jason Adams, he shared some great ideas like going to the library or joining a support group, virtual or in person, how to make some margin for that, prioritizing that. Mental health can be an investment, and maybe it's not where we want to spend our hard-earned money. I get it. Doesn't sound like fun. And sometimes it may just be impossible. I get that too. But sometimes it's not impossible. It's just not preferred. So take a good and honest look at your situation. Are you in treatment? If not, but you're feeling the distress for you or your loved one around the clock, when will it be worth it? Are we giving this a fair shake? No shame, just keeping it real with ourselves. Because there are a lot of resources out there ranging from free to very pricey, very expensive. But they're there and you're hurting. So take a minute and think about, is now the time, is this the time for me to invest in me, my loved one? For folks that are in therapy, are you participating in exposure and response prevention or inference-based CBT with ACT or mindfulness or medication support? I would endorse any of these things. We talk a lot about them here on the podcast. If not, is it worth having a conversation with your treatment provider and saying, hey, research shows ERP, research shows ICBT, research for SSRIs, that can help turn down the noise. That can help get our lives back from OCD and OCD-related disorders. If you're not doing one of those forms of therapy, in some combination, or even in a silo, take a look at that. For us family members, are we accommodating or giving in just a little to try and protect our family members? To not be so mean, so harsh. They have had such a hard time these past couple of years be so much easier to just check the lock for them, not watch this movie. That used to be their favorite movie. That's the family's favorite movie because the Bergen scares us. We might have some personal experience with that one circa trolls. Thank you very much. And for therapists, are the hierarchies that we're building, the exposures we're facilitating, are the obsessional sequences and vulnerable self-themes that we're identifying addressing the core fears, the obsessional inferences of doubt in value-driven ways as are defined by our client or by us, by what the parent or the spouse says they want out of treatment, how they need this client to change, what we think would be right and healthy and normal for them. How are we doing with all of this? This is hard, family. And even when trying our best, it still doesn't mean that there isn't room for improvement. 
So as I wrap today's episode, let's look at ourselves and name at least one way that we can create some value-driven movement in our treatment, in our engagement, in our learning, in our recovery, in our maintenance. One thing, it doesn't mean we've failed and there's no shame. Because if I've learned anything in my time in this field, it's that we have a pretty special family. And you and me, we're worth it. So let's be better together, one step at a time. And then family, please do come on back for our finale episode next week because there's going to be fun. There's going to be games. I'm sure there's going to be some laughter because, you know, that's how we do. And a giveaway. I'm going to be launching the start of a giveaway. As we wrap of season one before launching into our weekly summer series, The Water Cooler Chats, and I just, I can't wait. So join us again next week, fam. I know I'll be here. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like when Madison Marie joins a ginger like me. That's right, I went there. And you can too at ocdfamilypodcast.com.